Hello, welcome to episode 16 of Combo Chain. It's a Games Club podcast where we go through uh, JP, uh, where we go through JRPGs, old and new. And in this in this episode, we're going to do a pretty recent one, at least for its re-release. It's uh, Ease Memories of Celseta, which uh, I'm hoping is the correct pronunciation. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm Paul Davis, and who am I here with? Uh, Lisa James. Hey, everyone. Hey, Lisa. How are you doing? Fine. How are you? Good. Good. Uh, it's good to have you have you back up in here. Um, and so, yeah, uh, Ease Memory of Salsetta. It came. It just was re released uh, uh, in June of this year in the U.S. for the PS4, but it was originally released for the Vita in uh, 2012. Did you play it before the uh, PS4 version, Lisa? Actually, I did not. This is actually the um, this is my first foray into the um, the E series, which uh, I've always meant to play it, and I just never got a chance to. So when I got to review it, I was like, "Well, let me get into the series," and I really liked it. Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't realize this was your first one. You should, yeah. you should definitely play uh, E Seven as far as like you know oh. the most modern iteration. Nice. Okay. I'll definitely check that out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, um, definitely, you know, the most like modern and polished, uh, version, at least polished now after uh, it yeah. was patched a million, a million times in a million ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a pretty great game. Um, I've kind of played it. It's weird. I've played ease ease games on and off for years. I picked this up on the Vita years ago, but never actually finished it. Um, I remember uh, playing the first one way back in the day on uh, on uh, the Sega Master System back when it had the uh, kind of like infamous like bump and grind. Um, <laughs> uh, battle. <laughs> Battle system. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> I heard about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but that was like super. Su- I mean, it was kind of it was pretty impressive game uh, to come to like the Sega Master System. Just as far as like the the depth of it, um, it was kind of a cool follow up to uh, Fantasy Zo- Fantasy Star. But uh, yeah, outside of that one, and then playing uh, Memories of Salsetta on the Vita, uh, you know, at least part of it, and then playing uh, E7, um, that's pretty much it for as far as, you know, the games that I have played all the way through. Um, and so, yeah, when it came back, came, uh, when it was re-released on PS4 a couple months ago, I was like, yeah, I definitely need to pick this up and actually play it all the way through. I'm glad I did. Um, so yeah, yeah, uh, it was ported to PCs in China in 2015 and worldwide in 2018. And then they came to PS4 in 2019 in Japan. And then, as I just said, uh, just this past June in the U S um, one of the weird things is about East is that it's been outsourced at different points in time. Uh, to different developers or different developers have come to Falcom and said, Hey, we had a success when we released this game. We want to create our own sequel. So 
this is kind of the third East four. Um, and it's considered to be the canonical one because it was actually developed in house by Falcom. But previously, uh, Tonkin house developed a, uh, East four called mask of the sun and Hudson soft had developed another East four called the dawn of East. And so this is, uh, basically Falcom coming in and saying like, no, those aren't really canon. This is the actual, you know, proper East four, even though they didn't give it that name. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the whole series has a really kind of like interesting, um, history. I don't know if it's quite as like, uh, complex as the, uh, monster world kind of adventure Island, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, games, but there, there's definitely been, there was definitely that kind of phenomenon in like the nineties and kind of early two thousands where, you know, Hudson soft would start developing it. You know, they, they did, I believe the PC engine ports of it and just started making their own sequels and whatnot. And then Falcom outsourced like development on PCs to another studio and, yeah, it's just kind of a crazy clusterfuck, you know, until yeah. like say like maybe the last decade when they came in and said, no, we're going to do all these in-house and kind of like set like, you know, kind of a canonical East timeline. Yeah, which was smart. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, do you want to go into the, the mechanics, Elisa? Yep. Okay. So, uh, basically, uh, Yeast, uh, Memories of uh, Salsetta, it's an action RPG, uh, like other titles in the series. So uh, your three party members have standard attacks, which uh, fall into three types, slash, strike, and pierce. Um, These are really important because different enemy sets have different uh, weaknesses and strengths. So it's extremely important because you have your player character that you control and your party members usually act on their own. But it's important to swap on the fly between uh, the party members because you'll, you'll encounter enemies who all have different uh, weaknesses and you need to be able to target those weaknesses because you'll score critical hits on them, you know, things like that. Versus if you're using attacks to strong against you, you're barely going to do any damage. So it's, it's actually a really cool system that, that makes the action very strategic. It keeps you on your toes. You constantly have to pay attention to what kind of enemies you're fighting and, you know, who you're controlling, what your moves are. And this, of course, um, also translates into the special skills, which each member has, um, as well as an extra powerful move that can only be completed when uh, the meter has been filled for that move. And, of course, these moves also have their own uh, standard uh, type. So once again, if you don't want to waste these moves, you have to make sure you're using the right character on the right enemy or, you know, a boss as well. So it'll do the most amount of damage you can possibly deal. Um, So a successful parry of an enemy's attack is called a flash guard, which earns you additional skill points and turns any follow-up attacks into a critical. Uh, successfully evading right before an enemy attack lands is called a flash move, which makes the character temporarily invincible and also slows down the enemy. So another reason, you know, why it's combat so strategic, because it offers that kind of option where if you're actually timing 
uh, these evasions and whatnot. You get these like cool bonuses of being able to not only avoid damage, but also essentially get free hits on the enemy and prevent the enemy from being able to, you know, attack you or hit with their attacks um, for, for a brief period of time. There's also another interesting uh, mechanic that this game has. Uh, basically, certain characters are able to interact with certain objects in the field. Um, these objects allow for that corresponding character to perform a unique action that influences the story. So, for instance, when Adel, the uh, main character, touches a mysterious blue orb, he'll regain a part of his memory back. And then when Durin mm -hmm. encounters a locked chest, he can pick it open and then so forth with uh, any other character that you encounter. So it's a, it's a really like cool uh, mechanic. And of course, the, the game is actually always pretty clear about which character can interact with which objects. You never kind of, you don't have to worry about too much about playing like a long-winded guessing game or anything. But I, I really like that a lot. So Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's... It it's cool how it like you know it, there's just enough like complexity in the battle mechanics that it's not just like you're just button mash button mashing through the whole thing, um, and there's enough like st strategy, but it doesn't like like the the battles are really really snappy. You know exactly. you don't like they don't get bogged down. Um, you know and there's not a whole lot of fr frustration. It just feels very very like responsive. And, uh, you know, once you kind of like get a feel for which anime, which enemies are weak to certain attacks and, you know, your party members, um, it becomes really intuitive, um, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which I really love too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like su super tight action RPG, uh, fighting, which is nice. Um, and fast paced too. Yeah, yeah, surprisingly. That's what I like, that it keeps the fast-pacedness of combat. You really do have to think on the fly um, and think very quickly. But I like that, you know, strategic, because that is, like, my biggest complaint about uh, most uh, action JRPGs, that they tend to be extremely easy, extremely repetitive, to the point where I kind of see one, I'm like, ah, okay, I'll pass. But it's nice to get games like these, like Trials of Mana, they actually do have like that kind of depth where it's like you really have to think about what you're doing in battle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it really it really does matter. You can't just uh, you can't just like stick with like one character and be like, oh, you know the the auto battle. I mean, the auto battle is fine, you know, as far as for the other two members, but you really benefit from switching to the different characters and everything. You can't just kind of like. Um, it, re it, it really does, like, encourage you to use all the different tools and characters at your disposal. Exactly. Cool. Well, uh, should we move on to the plot? Yep, sounds good. All right. So, uh, yeah, the game is set in the uh, land of Salceta, and uh, it's basically this uh, mysterious, like, kind of, like, mysterious land with, like, this giant forest and giant, you know, kind of world tree type thing. And um, Adol uh, basically uh, shows up in the town of uh, Kaznan with amnesia for unknown reasons. And he has basically already been into the forest 
but he doesn't remember what he did there. Um, he doesn't know what's going on. And so the game kind of opens with him just going around and, you know, trying to figure out like who he is, what's going on. Uh, pretty soon he comes across an information dealer named Durin who, uh, claims to have met him before. Um, and so basically they send you off to, uh, you know, there's, there's a crisis in a nearby cave Durin comes along and he becomes basically your first like additional party member. Um, and once you go through there, um, uh, Governor General Griselda, who's the local ruler, hires Adol and Durin to basically explore Salsetta and draw a map of it uh, because uh, neither she or her government has a full map of the area. And also, basically, nobody really wants to enter into the forest. They basically say, People don't, people can't, people never escape. And it's basically seen as kind of being a death sentence if you enter in there. So she sends uh, our our, uh, protagonist, Adol and uh, Durin to head in there. And, um, you know, it doesn't seem like they have a ton of uh, confidence in you succeeding. (laughs) But, you know, Adol already made it out once, so. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (sighs) So, um, while exploring the forest, uh, Adol slowly recovers his memories of his previous encounters. He and Durin explore local villages and meet Karna, a warrior from Komodo Village, and Ozma, the village leader from Selray Village. Uh, Adol has uh, previously met both, but has no memory of meeting them. And, of course, Karna and Ozma end up joining Adol. Yeah, and along the way... uh... As Elisa was saying earlier, um, it all kind of comes across these different artifacts, which when he touches them, he gets like little like flashes of his memories back. Right. Yes. Um, but other than that, you know, outside of that, it's a lot of people saying like, hey, I remember you. And it all, you know, just kind of like being a mute protagonist and standing there um, <laughs> and not really remembering anything. Um uh, while you're exploring the villages, you basically come across two major antagonists. There's uh, uh, Bami, or Bami, who's a witch who's been uh, abducting villagers from Komodo and controlling them with magic masks. Uh, that includes uh, Karna's brother, Remnos. And then there's Gaddis, who's a beast tamer who attacks Selray and tried to take their uh, Spartas, which are beasts that the Selray uh, villagers consider uh, sacred. Um... You know, during this kind of like exploration and whatnot, it also comes across Gruda, who's an officer in the Roman army, who's uh, kind of like sympathetic and supportive of uh, Adol's exploration. And um, I think when I previously did an episode of E7, I mentioned this, but one of the funniest things to me about the E series is how they use these things, these like names of countries from the real world, but they just change like one word. Yeah. <laughs> Which I love. <laughs> yeah, so it's a, it's a, it's a Roman, uh, M-U-N as opposed to Roman, you know. <laughs> and uh, there's a Greek, which is kind of a stand-in for Greece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All kinds of other silliness like that. This is pretty great. <laughs> so um, eventually Adol's group arrives in Highland, a town near something called the Tower of Providence. 
uh, where a mysterious being referred to as a god by the locals called, uh, oh my gosh, okay, Eldia. Eldia. Yeah, Eldia. Yeah, Eldia lives. They also meet um, uh, Kalilika, the daughter of the village chief, and Lisa, an apostle of Eldil. Uh, Lisa explains Adol's memory loss is because of Eldil, but that he should not have lost all of his memories. Yeah, so uh, Kalilika uh, basically joins the group and uh, they uh, go to uh, the tower that they've been seeing from far off and meet Eldil, who's this white-winged being. Uh, Eldil reveals that he is an actual god and he's helped humanity advance in the past. And uh, he's already met Adol, but he's currently sick. Um, he briefly he he briefly transforms into a black winged being that has a malevolent personality, and demi- demands Adol return something called the Mask of the Sun, and then he passes out, uh, and his wings turn white again. So, uh, so immediately after, Adol and the group return to Highland and find it under attack by uh, Gruda, a bombing uh, Gaddis, and an army of masked men including Karna's brother Remnos, who was acting on his own volition. Adol's group repels the attack, but not before learning the masks Bami created are copies of the Mask of the Sun, which is hidden somewhere in the forest. The group arrives in Danan village and meets Frida, a warrior from the village. It is revealed Danan is home to a group of darklings, people who rebelled against the gods centuries ago and are trying to repent for their crimes. So yeah, Durin reveals that he's uh, from Danan, and um, he's actually been protecting Adol the, the entire time. So his whole act, whole act where he's just like, I'm a shady information merchant, and you know, sure I'll come along if I'm going to get paid for it. That was just that was just a ruse. Um, they're basically they're also shown that uh, the Mask of the Sun is sealed in uh, Danan, and uh, shortly after uh, Garuda appears revealing that he's also from Danan and wants to use the mask to uh, access the Akashic records and rewrite bene- uh, real- and rewrite reality to benefit humor. And rewrite reality to benefit humans. So uh, basically in East Lore, the Akashic records are the a- artifacts that contain the world's blueprints. And that includes the world's structure, its properties, and origins. Everything that happened in the past and everything that will happen in the future are recorded in this artifact. And this is actually too far removed from the uh, occult concept of the Akashic Records, which was forwarded in the 19th century by uh, theosophists like uh, Madame Blavatsky and Edgar Cayce. And they basically believed it to be sort of this metaphysical record of all human history, including all thoughts and actions. And you still, you know, if you read about like cheesy new age shit online, sometimes you'll, you'll sometimes see references to this sort of thing where it's like, you know, uh, you know, it's like tune into the Akashic records and like get visions of your past lives and all this kind of stuff. So, (laughs) um, any, any, you know, and anybody uh, that uh, um, you know listens to our other podcast, Megaton Marathon, knows that I've got a you know um, 
sort of a weakness for occult and metaphysical crap. So I was, <laughs> I, I, I was actually kind of like pleasantly surprised to see that in here and not have it like change into like, you know, like a funny, like uh, a funny reference, but to see it kind of like, you know, pretty like directly ported into East, East lore. Um, so I just thought that was kind of cool. Um, so yeah. Okay. Awesome. So that, that's actually really interesting. I love that kind of stuff when, there's always like that cool deeper meaning to like these certain things. So very awesome. <laughs> yeah, for a while I was mixing it up. I had to do a little research because there's also the idea of the like of the Hall of Records, which is a different thing, which is like this like idea that um this belief that Edgar Hate Casey had that like um you know, underneath the Sphinx, there's all these records that like tell you that like prove that I don't know, like aliens built the pyramids oh or some kind God. of horse shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. when, when I first saw it, when I first saw it in the game, I was like, "Ooh, are we gonna get some ancient aliens <laughs> stuff going on here?" Oh but God. sadly, no, no ancient aliens. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's more of kind of like, you know, kind of like a like metaphysical record of like everything that's past and everything that is to come. Ah, uh, okay, that makes sense. That's which yeah. is still pretty awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, with the mask of the sun, its control key, one can directly interfere with the records and cause some major changes in the real world. However, destroying the mask of the sun causes the Akashic records to shut down permanently. Uh, Gruta steals the mask and the group, along with Freda, chase him to Elduk, where the records are sealed. At Elduk, it is shown Gruta and Idil are working together. Losing the mask, they enter Elduk, but leave Adel and the group locked outside. They also learn from a being called the Grand Rue of the Mask of the Moon, uh, which can turn Idil back to normal. They collect the Mask of the Moon, fighting and defeating Bami and Gaddis along the way. Remnos also reveals he was on Adol's side the entire time and tried stopping Gruta's group from the inside but failed. Uh, Adol and the group use the Mask of the Moon to enter Elduk and confront and de- defeat uh, Eldil using the Moon Mask to heal him, sealing away his evil personality. Um, so yeah, Adol and the party ultimately uh, defeat Gruta, um, who use the mask of the sun to absorb the power into the Akashic records, uh, to absorb the power of the Akashic records into himself. So with no other, no other options, Eldiel has the group destroy the mask of the sun by throwing it into uh, Mount Vesuvio, which is a volcano. Um, they basically uh, realize that if they, uh, you know, destroy the mask, uh, nobody's going to be able to access the records again. Which you know seems kind of kind of tragic, but at the same time, nobody else will have access to that power. Yeah, uh, and so you know to like basically like rewrite the world in their own image. Um, so they fight their way to the top of the volcano, and Otto um, fights and finally destroys the shade of Gruda, permanently destroying him. He also succeeds with uh, destroying the mask. Let's see. So then after that, um, Adel is rescued from the volcano before it explodes. 
And in a flashback, Edel grants Adel the title of adventurer, which Adel is known as in the following games. The party then returns to their regular lives and goes their separate ways. Yeah, which is kind of like, you know, um, you know, East, East Lord, there's not, there's not a ton of it, but the title of adventure is like a big thing, which, you know, it's like kind of like the big theme of this game is like, yeah. how did Adol like realize the title of adventure yeah. or uh, gain the title of adventure? And in the following games, people will say, you know, even before they realize who Adol is, you know, they'll, you know, it's like adventure is like a really like major title in the yeah. ease world. Like you are, you know, and, and people, who come across him will say like, Oh, I've heard t- tales of this adventurer, uh, this red haired adventurer. And then, you know, usually, you know, it takes them a while to figure out that the red haired adventurer <laughs> they've heard about <laughs> is the person in front of them. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the kind of, that's kind of the, uh, you know, major kind of like progression for it all in this game. Um, other than that, did you, I don't know if you felt this, but the ending is kind of a little abrupt. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it was like, it basically solved everything. Like it ended Mm -hmm. how it should, but yeah, it kind of is a little abrupt, I guess, because like after the whole event, you kind of expect a more easing into everyone's separation, but no, it's like, Oh no, we're just going to go back. Okay. Bye guys. And it's like, no, you guys have been adventuring. Like (laughs) closure. (laughs) Yeah, that's another that's another kind of like East. Uh, I mean, basically, like they have to kind of like reset it. So Adol is, uh, you know, basically showing up, you know, for the new game, like alone or with like maybe one sidekick uh, in the next game. But <laughs> yeah, it, it is it is kind of a bummer to, you know, have these, you know, have like developed these stories and relationships with these characters and then they just kind of like take off. Yeah. Like immediately at the end of the game. <laughs> exactly. It's like, it's just want a little more closure with my found family. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So I think that, that's, that's what it is. I think for me, at least, that's what causes that abruptness, I think. like. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I mean, it's worth noting that the, you know, there is kind of like a meta plot to these games, but they're not incredibly serialized. Um, things do carry, things do carry over from one game to the next, but you know, they're, they're really kind of like the very kind of like most basic things like Adol now has the title of adventure. And like, that is, you know, the, the following games do not sort of like follow up on these characters of the story. Like, with too much detail. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. You could kind of tell, which is, which is fine. I think for, at least from what this game I played it, it, I liked it a lot. Like that the, the, the plot was interesting, but didn't get too overly complex and still pretty easy to follow. And mm-hmm. I found it pretty like refreshing. Same thing with like, I felt like with trials of mana when I played it, like I like sometimes playing a JRPG. That's just easy to understand. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny because I, I was playing Trials of Mana around the same time and they felt really kind of a piece. Um, yeah. Not, you know, partially because they have not incredibly similar battle systems, but they're both like, you know, action RPGs with a uh, with a three-member party. 
and um, they both kind of like uh, have a similar kind of like you know light. There's not there's there's nothing in the game that's like too you know too uh, sort of dark or grim. They're kind of they're kind of lighthearted uh, JRPGs. Um, so yeah, it was kind of interesting that they both got re released around the same time. Um, yeah, but. Man, I would like more. I would, I would like a lot more games like this. Yeah, yeah, me too. Honestly, I, I'm, I'm really enjoying the trend of having like these, um, uh, simpler JRPGs to play with with really good like action combat. It's, it's kind of nice. I like it. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. Um, and especially fast paced because I feel like one of the things that kind of like knocks down action RPGs sometimes is, um to really get sort of like all the strategy into kind of an action context, the they'll show slow down the battle system. Yeah. And it's really nice to play a game that everything's so snappy and it really keeps you on your toes, but you, uh, um, but you know, it's just like really fast paced. Um, I really, really dig that. Yeah, me too. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I really, I really dug this game. I think that um, E7 is, would probably, probably be my favorite at this point because maybe just because it feels closest to being like kind of like a modern game, um, and it has sort of a. I mean, this game definitely has like a sense of mystery, but. I found the story of E7 to be a little more intriguing as far as the way the narrative is kind of like played out or, or plays out over the course of the game. Yeah. And, you know, I, I would say that the narrative, the story in E7 is a little more complex. Um, yeah, definitely. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I would have, if you pick that game up or are just looking for like a really, really like, you know, fun snappy action rpg to get through um i would really highly recommend this one yeah definitely like you know i think it is important to keep in mind um that this is essentially um a sort of remastering of a ps game vita game that was essentially a complete ground up remake from the original you know super famicom uh title and this you know came out uh, um, you know, so it's like, uh, uh, you have to keep that in mind that it does have a lot of that sort of old school, uh, sort of feel to it, you know, um, to it. But I honestly, despite that, um, you know, despite that the game itself, like looking at it, doesn't look amazing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you do have the issue of environments and character, mo- character models being kind of like muddy, but low res stiff. And even the walking cycle looks hilarious. Like, <laughs> I, I, I saw it w- running and I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Like, it looks like that game. But it's like, once you, <laughs> once you get past it, you have to put your mind in another spot. Like, okay, so the visuals aren't going to blow me away. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but once you once you get past that which is pretty easy for me because i'm used to playing like pretty old school games anyway so visuals really aren't a big thing for me and 
honestly, the biggest draw is really the um, the um, uh, the 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 gameplay, the gameplay and the exploration, because the forest is just so interesting in general. Like to, mm-hmm. to to really dig into and explore more from, and you do want to actually find out more about it. It's very cool, and they did a good job with that, you know, and kind of unfolding things. And of course, you know the um the 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 characters are really good. There's really good voice work in this game, so that was that was great. Because coming from Trials of Mana's uh, English dub, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I'll and I'll call it out too. Japanese version of Trials of Mana really isn't much better. I'm gonna say that it's not. Really, <laughs> you know. So it was like, oh my god, finally some good voice work. So that was nice already. And then soundtrack's really solid. Um, and you know, like I said, the characters themselves are great. So I think once you get past the visuals thing, like the game itself, very very solid game. Um, and it's not long either. It's about 25 hours. So once again, it doesn't, it's snappy. Like you said, it doesn't like drag on at all. Like a lot of JRPGs have a habit of doing once they get into like the middle part of it. It doesn't do that at all. It just gets right to the point. Everything that happens is interesting and you're constantly learning about what's going on with the plot and the characters. So that's really good. And and 24 hours is a pretty solid amount of time for a JRPG, I think. So Mm -hmm. You'll end up getting like a pretty good, like a good, uh, um, long lasting, a decent lasting game. Yeah, yeah, you definitely don't feel shortchanged by it. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Um, you know, it feels it feels substantial without being like incredibly bloated. And I mean, you know, the visuals, like, I feel like that's just like some that's something you're gonna get. Like, if you're going into a Falcom game, like I recently <laughs> was, I read it, I, I read some someone complaining online about uh, the visuals on the switch port of uh, trails of cold steel three. And it's like, <laughs> man, I, I played that on the PS4 and like, <laughs> like all of their games look like upscaled, um, upscaled uh, PS Vita games. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's just part of the deal. And you know, that's okay. Like not everything has to look, you know, yeah. Um, not everything has to be, you know, like 4K ray tracing, like <laughs> 60 FPS, especially, you know, yeah. a game like this or, you know, Trails of Cold Steel games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, sometimes the gameplay is allowed to shine the most because that is, I mean, always the most important thing about really any JRPG, that and story. So I think if mm-hmm. those two things are fine, you've got a good JRPG. Yep. I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? Um, let me see. Uh, not much. I mean, I guess the only thing is that I do wish that there were like uh, more side quests, you know, in the game to kind of flesh things out a little bit. Cause I, I do love me some side quests. So, <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I kind of missed uh, going from like E7 uh, to this game is that, um, you know, East seven has like a kind of like, it's not, it's not very sophisticated, but it has a mechanic where you're like kind of building up a town and whatnot. And yeah, quests yeah. Which to is very like cool. Develop this town. Um, which is pretty cool. And yeah, having, having that kind of like additional kind of like side game, um, adds like an additional, like 
level depth and like some world building to it that it would have been nice for this game Definitely. to have. But you know, considering that you know it was you know basically can originally intended to be a portable game that was built off the bones of like a 16-bit game. Exactly. Yeah, it's understandable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So for what it is, it's it's pretty good. And I'm glad that they did bring it to, you know, uh, PS4 because it makes it way more accessible. It would have been a shame if it was just like, trapped on the Vita, you know. So I am very mm-hmm. glad they ported it and that they actually did fix up the visuals a little bit. Like, if you look at comparisons, there is a difference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, so oh, I yeah, there definitely is. Yeah, I definitely give them tr- credit for that, for actually um, fixing that up quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Cool. Should we wrap it up here? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Do you have anything you want to plug or get the word out about? Yep. So, um, on, so I, as you know, you may have heard, uh, PAX West, of course, the, um, the regular convention was, uh, canceled and instead they're hosting a big PAX online event instead, uh, in September. So they're going to have plenty of panels, like online panels that'll be streaming on, uh, the official, uh, Twitch account. And one of the panels I will be in, um, through Dual Shockers, which is the video game site that I, uh, I'm a senior staff writer for, a great video game site in general. And, you know, I'll be part of this panel. It'll be called, What Do We Want to See from Persona 6? And so that panel will be on Monday, September 14th at 1 p.m. PT, 4 p.m. ET. Um, so... Uh, you can you obviously be able to tune in at that time on the official Twitch account. It'll you know you'll be able to watch. It's about an hour long, um, and I think you'll have a lot of fun watching us kind of bounce off of what we would want to see in this Persona, you know, in, in a in a future Persona Six game, you know. So and of course you know since the chat will be there, you can make your own comments. Uh, you can always chat with us at Dual Shockers um, on Twitter as well. Once you hear the panel, if you want to share your own opinions about, you know, whether you agree with us, disagree, what things you'd want to see in Persona 6. And, you know, if you want, you can also chat with us individually as well. Um, the panelists, just so if anyone does actually follow Dual Shockers, it'll be myself, uh, Logan Moore, uh, Ian. Uh, Nick, Ryan, and Scott. So, you know, definitely stay, you know, stay tuned for that. Hope you enjoy it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks. Looking forward to that. Thank you. Cool. And, uh, yeah, didn't you say that you wrote a review of this game too? Yep, I sure did. So, um, I enjoyed it a lot. I gave it a 7.5, um, mm-hmm. so, which is a good score. Keep in mind, guys, out of a 10-point scale... <laughs> 7.5 is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good. I enjoyed it a lot. Didn't mean I hated it. <laughs> so, but yeah, definitely, you know, if you want a, a very, um, you know, in-depth review of the game and to kind of get an idea more so, you know, even more than what we talked about today, like what to expect in this game mechanics-wise, uh, you know, uh, character-wise, story-wise, stuff like that. So, 
you know, we have that as well as um, an old review that was done for the PS Vita version. So if you also want kind of a different point of view, that would be interesting for you to check out too. That was written ages ago, 2013, but it's still a great read. So if you wanted to see someone else's point of view of the game as well and kind of get that, you know, before if you before you uh, dive in yourself, if you were interested in buying it. Yeah, yeah, and we'll uh, we'll include a link to the <clears throat> to those reviews in the uh, in the show notes too, so you can check those out. Awesome, that's awesome. Cool. Uh, yeah. Aside from that, I would say uh, you know check out our other uh, Lisa and I have another podcast, the Mega Ten Marathon, which uh, we go through all the uh, Shimakama Tensei and Persona games. Uh, we'll hopefully have a new episode coming out in the next few weeks. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we uh, you know we we average about a new episode every two months, so <laughs> it's a very slow process. But they're also very long games. Um, so yeah, hopefully you know in the next few weeks we'll we'll have a new episode coming out on uh, Devil Survivor, uh, the first game for the DS and 3DS. And um, other than that, yeah, please just uh, you know uh, spread the word uh you can follow combo chain on twitter and uh like us on facebook and if you can rate and review us on apple podcasts or anybody or anywhere else that you listen to podcasts that'd be great um we should be on spotify i'm gonna be trying to get it up on uh i guess amazon's gonna start posting or uh start their own podcast thing pretty soon so I get it up on there as well so yeah that's about it uh thanks so much for listening and uh thanks for uh coming along lisa thank you so much for having me i had a blast as always awesome all right well uh yeah we will we'll be back hopefully sooner rather than later all right thank you for listening take care everyone